iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We're here every match day of the World Cup podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. And this week it is all about the final match days of the group stages. In the studio with me, the sports editor at The Times, Alex Kate Jelski. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, later on, we'll be speaking to Alison Rudd after Uruguay dismantled host nation Russia. Luis Suarez and co top the group while Russia are runners up from Group A. Uh, we're lucky enough to be joined by Henry Winter. Hi, Henry. Hi, Natalie. How are you doing? All good, all good. We're getting an update from the England camp with you shortly after that record-breaking victory over Panama. But first, to a remarkable climax to Group B on Monday night. Spain twice came from behind to draw two all with Morocco in Kaliningrad, thanks to Iago Aspas's late equaliser being awarded after a VAR review found Aspas to be on side. But Spanish blushes were spared. Iran knew they had to beat Portugal to have any chance of qualifying for the knockout stages. After falling behind to a Ricardo Quaresma strike, a stoppage time VAR penalty from Karim and Sarifard gave the Iranians hope. Mehdi Tarimi had a golden chance to win it for Iran just moments later, but it finished one all. Iran out, Portugal through to the last 16. Uh, two goals in two games, both within the same minute, both assisted by VAR, changing the complexion of Group B. So, Henry, uh, how is VAR affecting your viewing experience of this tournament then? Well, my viewing experience tonight was, was extraordinary because we're, I'm in the media hotel here in uh, Rapinha and we've got a sort of games room, not quite as grand as the players' one. And there are a few people playing table tennis in one corner and pool in the other corner after sort of doing their day's work on England. And we, we've rigged up three televisions in there so we can watch as many matches, obviously, the, t- the two matches that are on tonight. And it was, it was just difficult to know which one to keep your eyes on because they were both dramatic. As you say, VAR um, played a part. You know what I would love? them to do with VAR, as well as the, the grappling, which we saw particularly in England, Panama, the play acting. Some of the play acting from the Portuguese, Pepe, was just a joke. So if you're going to make key decisions on penalties, things like that, also, actually, why don't we have a little go at uh, simulation and the play acting as well? So look, I'm a fan of VAR. It's the 21st century. It's crazy that everyone in the ground can be streaming the game. I've got a monitor as a journalist. Commentator's got one. The only person who hasn't got access to a screen until now has been the person making the uh, the decisions. You've got to give the sheriff a gun. And now they've got that in terms of uh, technology. But they've got to be a bit more judicious in using it. I mean, I thought there were one or two incidents tonight. The Winaldo, I didn't think that was a, a, a red card offence. 
So, nor nor could it then be a yellow card offence. Um, so I didn't. I mean, that was like three minutes wasted. So, uh, look, everyone's still coming to terms with VAR. I'm a supporter of it, but I don't think tonight was a great advertisement for VAR. I, I agree with you, Henry. I'll tell you what, another thing I would really like to see them clamp down on, and I think it's been created even more by it, is every time something controversial happens now, you have six, seven, sometimes eight players around the referee, and I do think that is something that is not a particularly nice sort of sideshow to it. A couple of quick yellow cards might uh, sort of make that go away. Uh, and I think overall it has been great. Just, yeah, okay, tonight wasn't perfect perhaps, but we've had so many more important decisions got right because of it and it's i hope people are slowly getting used to the fact that it is changing the game for the better well yeah no i mean just on your point of you're going on to penalties i mean this is what they've been to like 19 penalties so far i mean it's extraordinary to see ronaldo i mean he's obviously missed penalties before but that was uh you know quite uh i mean i could almost hear the cheer from the england camp with harry kane on the you know with his <laughs> his five goals and and the race for uh you know that great honor so, uh, but I mean, that was a that was a, a huge moment. But look, VAR is is here to stay. It just needs to be used a little bit more judiciously, because it's the the World Cup rather than the European Championships. You can argue about the quality of some of the officiating because FIFA wants to spread. Quite rightly, I guess they want to draw the referees from all over the world. I still think they need to invest in the standard of uh, refereeing and also the technology and the angles um, and the quality of the technicians. Uh, who actually sort of supply the uh, the footage for the VAR suit. I think, to be honest, Natalie, I think we're probably within a couple of years of the referee actually staying on the pitch, but just relying more and more um, to a, a fourth official, fifth, sixth official, sitting in the stand, watching the game and just advising him and not interrupting the, the, the flow of the game by dragging him off. I can understand in hot conditions, the referee probably thinks, listen, I can give myself a 90-second breather here by sort of jogging slowly off, waving a few angry players away, having a look at the old um, screen, and then coming back on. But really, it still it still takes too long. And I think at some point, they're going to cut, out, cut that out and just have straight communication from the, uh, from the stand to the, uh, to, to the referee and get on with it. I think at some point, it is going to explode still in this tournament in that... It's all very well, a bit of inconsistency during a group stage where you've got another chance to win the next game or, or whatever. We saw tonight when first versus second place were up for grabs, it was a little bit more tense. And if we get a knockout game where there is a debatable VAR decision that ends up deciding it, I think there'll still be a lot of controversy and a lot of aggression. Well, I find that hard to believe that's not going to happen. You could say that about the Iranian penalty, couldn't you? It was controversial. It was for a handball awarded by VAR in the end. But it changed the destiny of the group within minutes. It did, but I think both teams, although they might have a whinge, will still be happy enough that they've progressed. Um, of course, playing Russia versus playing Uruguay is, is, a, is a different path and one seems a lot easier than the other. But when we get to the quarterfinal and you know Team X is denied by something that we saw tonight, I think it could get noisy and controversial and whingy again. I'm not sure that was a penalty. I mean, where the, the defender is in the air. You know, the, the natural thing when you're in the air, you, you don't jump with your arms by your side. There is an element of, like, you know, a child's fight with stabilizers. Your arms are out slightly. 
So I, I felt a little bit of sympathy for him. I don't think that was the most obvious penalty decision I've seen. Mm. It just all goes to show how VAR obviously is all about one person's opinion at the end of the day. Uh, but let's focus on, on the group as a whole. Spain top it, but unconvincingly, they, they haven't really performed to the levels we expect. They've sacked uh, their manager, Julian Lopetegui, two days before the tournament, but they just haven't been that dominant Spanish machine that we've been used to seeing, Alex. They haven't, but I think if you lose your manager so soon before a tournament, it's probably going to take you a bit of time to get yourself together. I still still thought in that first Portugal game they were really impressive and arguably played the best football of that first round. They don't need to have played that well yet, do they? I mean, they've got through, they've topped the group, they've got a very winnable last 16 game and as long as they peak in about however long it is, three weeks' time, two and a half weeks' time, then it doesn't matter. Russia thought they'd be facing Portugal. They surely would have preferred that to Spain. Uh, yes, I mean I, I watched the, uh, the the Russia going today. I mean Uruguay was one of my dark horses going into it. Alex, being the world's great sports editor, always says to us, "I say, right, we want your dark horses." And I'm always very slow. And uh, everyone else had got their dark horses in. I thought, well, I've just seen Uruguay, what they did to uh, England at the, at the last World Cup, the quality that they've got there. Um, so just in terms of uh, Russia, I mean that is going to be. Uh, <laughs> It's difficult to tell Russia. Look, they will be buoyed by their fans, but Spain, I think, you know, they've got Diego Costa, David De Gea, again, not being particularly convincing in this this tournament, but I still think he's, uh, you know, he's in the top three goalkeepers in the world. You could see the emotion, again, I have one eye on that screen, but the emotion for Hierro, who, who really is just a formidable figure in, in Spanish um, football. When he was um, technical director of the Spanish Federation, I think technically still is, uh, a few of us went to see him, and he, he's slightly wary of the English media. And he said, "Listen, I don't want sort of headlines dictating everything that I think is wrong with English football from my brief experience of playing in England." But he's an absolutely fascinating character, quite sort of noble, if you can use that in a sort of sporting sense. Um, and so, you, you know, you have a sort of slight empathy with an individual, and you hope he does well. And you could just see what it meant to him. You know, as as a coach, as someone who stepped into the breach, and obviously as a, as a Spaniard, getting them through. So, uh, no, I mean, I'm sure they'll build up a bit of momentum there. Uh, it will be Portugal who'll face then Uruguay, a Uruguay side who haven't yet conceded a goal in the group stages. That's the first team to do that since Argentina some 20 years ago. You would expect a knockout game to be tight, but this one's going to be tight, Alex. It's like two immovable objects, <laughs> the, the Uruguay defence and Cristiano Ronaldo. Um I don't know who I'm supposed to back. I, I mean, I know Uruguay's group wasn't the toughest, which you could maybe say is part of the reason that they haven't conceded a goal. Um, but Godin in particular has looked very impressive. The goalkeeper hasn't been overly tested, but he looks incredibly solid. Muslera, I don't believe that Cristiano Ronaldo can not have an influence on a game like that, but I'm not sure he's got enough around him to quite get over the line. But you know, it's, it's going to be really, really good Saturday night viewing that one. A quick word, Henry, on Carlos Quiros. Roy Keane <laughs> might not be his biggest fan, uh, but he has taken Iran to consecutive World Cups and bows out of this one with four points from their group. Do, do you know what? There's a huge debate about Quiros and do good number twos make good number ones? You know, we saw in, in Moscow with Manchester United. I remember he talked to a lot of the Manchester journalists after the uh, after the Manchester United had come back on and what made them tactically tick. He's a great tactical mind. I mean, you know, Ferguson has always sort of praised him, always sort of 
um, regarded him so highly in terms of, probably actually when you look at it, Ferguson's greatest ever number two in terms of his influence and, and their success. So as a number two, sensational, he's, he's set up this. I mean, you know, we're playing some decent football. So, uh, you know, I, I feel for him, it must be strange managing against your own country. But, uh, you know, and he, he ripped his jacket off at one point. You know, the gloves were off. He was just living in every sort of emotion. And he's, he's lifted that team. So, uh, you know, that old dynamic, do good number twos, make good number ones. Well, I think he certainly proved they can do. I think when you look back at this World Cup at the end of it, one of the best performances will be Iran getting four points from a group with Portugal and Spain in it and only losing 1-0 to Spain. I mean, that's really, really hugely impressive. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Tuesday's games on Talk Sport. It starts in Group C with Denmark taking on France at 3 o'clock on Talk Sport, with Australia versus Peru at the same time on Talk Sport 2. Then at 7 o'clock in Group D, Nigeria face Argentina on Talk Sport, while the clash between Iceland and Croatia is live on Talk Sport 2. The countdown is on for England's final group game on Thursday. Fans still revelling in the win over Panama. Uh, Henry, you described England's performance as happy football, uh, and they're certainly bringing a sense of fun to this World Cup. Well, they are, and it's it's very rare for England. I mean, I've been to too many tournaments where they've stunk the place out, where they haven't sort of engaged with a tournament. They've almost sort of cold-shouldered the people around them. They've stayed in their hotels. They haven't actually gone out and experienced the country, experienced the culture. Now, we're not expecting them to get their B-deckers out and sort of explore the highways and byways of, of Russia. It's a rather large place. But I think it's good that you know some of the players, Eric Dyer, inevitably led a, a party of five into the, uh, into the Hermitage, and they had a look around it. You know, that great art collection there, they're actually sort of exploring a little bit more. They're opening themselves up. We've seen it. I've seen it as a journalist, the Danny Rose interview, and the, and the players being very upfront in, in, in talking. And I think they're expressing themselves off the pitch and, and on the pitch. And that is purely down to Gareth Southgate saying, there's too much paranoia, there's too much fear and suspicion and cliques around England. I'm going to sort of dispel all that. I'm just going to give it a go. We're going to go do it my way. We're going to attack. Obviously, they've worked fantastic on set pieces. We've seen that so far. But they're just playing with with just a bit of joy. You know, it was great when Harry Kane came out after the game in Panama and said, we enjoyed ourselves out there. You know, it is a sport. We get too carried away, and I'm guilty of it in, in, on the sort of writing side of it. We just put too much importance on it. And it is incredibly important. But as Ancelotti says, you know, football is the most important of the least important things in life. And I think England just went out and played with a freedom, with a pride in the shirt and the fans in the grounds and just seeing all the scenes all around the uh, the world. I mean, a mate of mine runs a, a pub, quite well-known pub in Santa Monica, and he said he was absolutely rammed with expats and locals all willing England on. 
and you haven't really had that in tournaments. There's always been a, well, we'll keep an eye on England, but if it's going to be a one nil against Slovakia or a draw against Algeria, we're not going to be too excited. England now excites people, and they've been welcome to the World Cup party, which I can promise you is quite a party out here. <laughs> I will uh, save that for another time, maybe, Henry. Um, as it is, then, it is Belgium for England on Thursday night in Kaliningrad. Uh, and on our previous podcast, Henry, we spoke about the supposedly more comfortable route to the final for England if they were to finish second. They might avoid Brazil or Germany in the quarterfinals if they were to lose to Belgium and finish second in Group G. Where do you stand on this issue? My tiny mind can't cope with all these things. All I can cope with is England and the English mindset and my limited experience of England players having covered England for about 400 years is that they go out they go out with the mindset of wanting to win. Now, there might be fear attached to it often, too often in the past. The, the teams too often in the past have been in balance with Paul Scholes on the left and all that sort of nonsense. But they've still gone out to win. I don't think they can play a calculating game. It will be a ball trick cunning plan if England say, right, let's go out and keep the yellow cards down and let's go out and obviously they've got to keep their discipline. But if they go out and say, right, a draw will do us. I just don't think it's in the English mindset. I don't think I've having spoken to Gareth. I don't think it's in his mindset to do that. So I think they'll go out for it. Look, we've seen it in, in previous tournaments, in 2010, in 2016, where we thought, oh, that actually we've been quite clever in terms of working our routes um, to, uh, to, 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 to the next stage. And then in, in um, 2010, you get Germany. In 2016, everyone thought, oh, that's going to be a nice, easy one, nice, easy route. It's Iceland. We'll cruise through them. And suddenly we're getting humiliated on the Riviera. So, I mean, that is, it's not purely laziness on my part. And my tiny little mind and my calculator is not clever enough with big enough batteries to work out the permutations and the route march and all that. I just think you have to go out and, uh, and win this one. I'm sure he will make some changes. I'm sure Rashford and individuals like that will come in. But I still think they'll go out to win it. Uh, Alex, Matthew Syed has written for The Times on this. He, he feels it's inevitable that if the England camp feel coming second will enhance their prospects, it will affect their approach on Thursday. Do you subscribe to that? I don't know whether it will affect them. I wonder whether I think it should affect them. I think it, it, it's very difficult. I keep stopping myself at the last 16 because I think one thing that's kind of got forgotten in this conversation is whoever we face in the last 16 is really not going to be that easy. England do have no divine right to beat Colombia or Senegal or Japan. I mean, Iceland should have taught us that more than anything else. So there's that first. Just because we beat Panama 6-1 doesn't mean that we automatically arrive in the quarterfinals, for example. However, would you rather potentially play Mexico or Switzerland for a place in the World Cup semi-final or Germany or Brazil? Well, I know the answer to that all day. Will Gareth Southgate and the England players let that affect them? I imagine not. I imagine if you had a sort of Jose Mourinho-esque cynical manager who plots all these kind of things, you know, he, he, he might do something like that. But I don't know Gareth Southgate anywhere near like Henry knows Gareth Southgate. So I, you know, totally believe Henry when he says he's probably not that kind of man. The players as well. I mean, the players aren't sitting there with with maps of Russia and timetables and schedules and potential fixtures. There might be a little bit of that, but but actually they will focus purely on the next training session and on the next game. It's very insular, the world, there. I haven't sort of talked to some of them. You know, they are completely focused on that game and they say, let's get through that game. I mean, it's, it is the greatest cliche in football, but it's totally applicable to England players in the circumstance of taking each game to come. I mean, I guess the other thing is, if you're Jamie Vardy 
or Marcus Rashford or Eric Dyer, whoever gets to come in, or your equivalents on the on the Belgian team, this is your chance to say, hello, I need to play in these knockout stages. Look how good I am. This is your chance to make your mark, not to lay back and take the defeat. Well, you can also read a fascinating story at thetimes.co.uk highlighting an incident 20 years ago uh, when Indonesia deliberately lost a match to Thailand to secure themselves a supposedly easier route to the final of the Tiger Cup. Now, they did so by scoring a last-minute own goal. The player who scored it, uh, Mercy Defendi, was banned from international football for life by FIFA. So maybe a little bit of a warning uh, for England there ahead of Thursday. Um, but Roberto Martinez has already said he'll make big changes. Romelu Lukaku appears to be carrying an injury. Uh, what do you see Henry Gareth Southgate doing? Um, well, interestingly, the, the, the word coming out of here tonight is that Hazard and Mertens are both fit. So, you know, they, they, they could be involved. But as, as you say, Martinez says he's, he might make some changes. I... I mean, if I was Southgate, I would keep the core of defence together because I think it's important they continue building up that understanding. They haven't had the rigours of, say, Jordan Henderson, who's been putting in 10k after 10k each game. Um, so I, I can't read his mind at the moment, and uh, I haven't got any long lenses to get any sort of team sheets and um, action. But it is, I think, it is he will make I'm sure he'll make three or four changes. Yeah. We're not allowed to talk about team sheets, Henry. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar. Last time out, we asked you, the winning goal in the 1990 World Cup final was scored by a left-back. That was West Germany's Andy Bremer. In the 2006 final, which left-back converted the decisive spot kick in the shootout for Italy? The answer was Fabio Grosso, who scored the winning penalty against France in Berlin 12 years ago. Our teaser for you today. Harry Kane is the fourth player to have scored a World Cup hat-trick that included two penalties. Who was the first player to do so? Bill's done it again, so to help you out, I'm going to give you a clue. Uh, he was playing against North Korea in the 1966 World Cup quarterfinals. Hmm. Tune in to our next podcast to find out the answer. Uruguay top Group A after a resounding 3-0 victory over Russia. Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani both on the score sheet. Uh, the hosts had Igor Smolnikov sent off for two bookable offences in the first half. Alison Rudd joins us now. And Alison, Russia were already through to the knockout stages. But does this defeat burst the host nation's bubble a little bit? I think it was really useful that Russia lost, actually. But it was so easy for them in their first two games. Um, they... They did the whole whether hosts were going to show the world that were worthy hosts because most people had written them off. And I think probably the nation was getting carried away. Their manager was being applauded when he walked into press conferences. It felt like they were on a trajectory to win the World Cup. Um, and they, they got lucky because it's mattered so much. It probably matters a lot in every World Cup, but it seems to have mattered more than usual in this one. The order in which the games crop up for you and because Russia started against relatively weak opposition and were able to impose themselves this was ideal I think for them to know that it's going to get much much tougher it felt like <laughs> I was watching the community shield final it felt like both teams knew it didn't matter that much they were through um, it wasn't in their hands who they're going to face 
So there was that sort of element of, it's a bit hot, we're not quite ready for this, we don't need this. I just didn't feel Russia were giving it the same level of intensity. You've got enough credit in the bank with your fans and the politicians to to be able to absorb a defeat, I think. There's not going to be any gnashing of teeth and wailing in the streets after this one. I think it was a good wake-up call for a team that have had a very easy start. They were unable to impose themselves physically on Uruguay. Spain are small. They're a relatively small team, and they are a relatively aging team with a lot of fantastic players who are just slightly past their peak. I feel Russia will feel if they can be athletic and get off to a good start. It's about imposing their will in that one and not letting Spain dominate the patterns of the match. But um, anything can happen if you're the host nation. Uruguay win Group A as a result, and they do so without conceding a single goal, Alison. How much confidence will that give them going forward? Uruguay is so interesting because they've got this reputation. They've always had this reputation from way back when of just being a no-nonsense, no-frills team. So I tried to watch the game as if I didn't know about that reputation. I was looking for prettiness and frills and passing and expansive play. Basically, what defined them was was a sort of a sort of intelligent thuggery, I would call it. They bully their way through matches. They're very efficient at the back. Their midfield is very concentrated. There's just that sort of willpower about them. So when you look, you look at Cavani and you think, right, there's a player who's going to be absolutely livid if he doesn't score a goal. And that sort of goes against the whole teamwork principle, but you, you sort of feel the team are with it. They want it. They want someone like that in the team. You just really, you, it will do whatever it takes to score. And he kept going and kept going, and then he did at the very end. And you sort of knew it was going to happen. I never seen anyone so sort of intensely angry about not having scored. And I think what was significant was Zuba is is a sort of like the thug on the Russian team. He's a big guy. He's very imposing, very difficult to play against. And he was bullied in that game. I think if, you, if any team that can bully Zuba, then you've got to say Uruguay are. Maybe people weren't talking about them before the tournament, but they look, they look, they look so difficult to play against. Elsewhere in Group A, Saudi Arabia claimed their first World Cup win since USA 94 with a last gasp 2-1 victory over Egypt. But the real story here was Egypt's keeper, starting at 45 years old, Esam El Hadari. He becomes the oldest player in the history of the tournament. And not only that, he saved a penalty. And it was a fantastic save to deny Fahad Al Mualad. And just for your information, the previous record holder was the Colombian goalkeeper, Farad Mondragon, who played at the last World Cup aged 43. So, Alex, Egypt bow out. Mohamed Salah did score today, but it is the end of a difficult month for him. It's been a bit strange for Mohamed Salah. He's gone from being Mr Invincible, picking up awards um, on an almost weekly basis, to a pretty miserable month. So, this morning is exactly a month since the Champions League final, where... The shoulder injury happened, didn't win the Champions League final, turns up at the World Cup half fit. And then he's had these three matches. The first one where Uruguay score in the last minute. The second one where Russia pretty much embarrassed them. And today, well, to lose to Saudi Arabia. um, I I don't think anyone saw that coming. 
must be pretty brutal. It's not been the kindest few weeks. Um, he probably look forward to getting back to the comforts of Melwood in the Liverpool training ground where he's got Firmino, Mane, Henderson and all his mates to help him because uh, the one-man show didn't really work out in the end. And as for the goalkeeper, well, I always wondered what I was going to do after this job, so <laughs> there is hope yet. <laughs> Two groups with much to play for are to be settled on Tuesday. In Group D, Argentina must beat Nigeria to have any hope of reaching the last 16. Alex, it's unthinkable even to ask this, but will Lionel Messi and Kobe heading home? Well, they might, and I really hope they don't. I know it's so much fun when the big teams stumble, and wasn't it fun with the hope that, oh, Argentina might not get through and Germany might not get through, but do we really want quarterfinals without teams like this don't we actually I, I'm back of my mind I'm just I'm waiting for Italy and Holland to turn up at this World Cup um, so yeah they might go out because not only have they been dreadful but they're in a situation where if Iceland beat Croatia's second string there's nothing they can do anyway it's going to be sad I think to have a knockout stages of the World Cup without Lionel Messi if that's the case but deep down I think they'll probably get through looks like they're making all kinds of changes including putting a goalkeeper in who's never played for them before. Um, a risky move. Yeah, a risky move. But when you're almost at rock bottom, you've got to take risks. Looks like Aguero's been left out um, for Higuain. Hard to argue with that after the performance the other night. No matter how mediocre they are, and boy, they're mediocre. I kind of just feel for Stardust Factor, the World Cup's a better place with Argentina in it. And you can see those Group D games live on the BBC. Uh, Group C is to be finalised in the afternoon. France versus Denmark at three o'clock at the same time as Australia versus Peru. Uh, Australia must win and win well and then hope that Denmark lose to France. Uh, France have qualified, Alex, and a draw will see them through as group winners while also sending Denmark through. Is it conceivable that they could shake hands on a draw? You'd like to think not. Denmark have history, don't they? The famous two-all draw with Sweden once upon a time. Can't remember my year which eliminated Italy. At Euro 2004, yes. But if I was France, although they're through, I don't think they've been at all convincing in those wins against Australia and Peru. I don't think they've quite clicked. I think Griezmann's looked a little bit off the pace. And if I was them, I'd be determined to improve my level and really go into the knockout stages with a little bit of momentum. I think Denmark are incredibly lucky to be where they are. Again, I don't think they've been that impressive. It's not that outrageous to think they lose an Australia win and, you know, we could have the odd situation of Australia becoming a football power, which is just as well considering the state of their cricket team. Oh, you had to get that dig in. Well, you've got to do it's what good. You, you've got to do what you've got to do. Yeah, I liked it. Those Group C games, by the way, are live on ITV. That's it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Alex K. Jelski, Henry Winter and Alison Rudd. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it's just a pound a month for your first three months. Hurry, the offer ends on Sunday. Search The Times sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. And we'll be back on Tuesday night for the final match day in Groups C and D. We'll see you then. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. 
That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.